Hey, and welcome to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. At Cows, we like to keep things simple. We are committed to verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible to help people know, love, and become fully committed followers of Jesus. It is our prayer and hope that this message challenges, encourages, and equips you to that end. If you knew you were going to die, what message would you write to your loved ones? My granddad, I've talked about him a few times. He passed away last year. Um, he was a, a faithful believer. He came to faith in about 1963 through uh, just some local guys at a local Baptist church just coming and mowing his lawn one day, actually. Um, they'd moved from England and um, my mum was about seven years old at the time. Anyway, he was just this, this faithful guy who just kept on um, serving in the church and serving in Sunday school, uh, serving in the choir. He would record uh, sermons up to like the, on the little cassette tapes until about the age of 90 he kept doing this, recording sermons to give to the old people in church who couldn't get to church on a Sunday. He was just this faithful, lovely, amazing believer who had a lot of faults just like the rest of us. My grandma could tell you all about those. But he, he was this really cool, special guy. We managed to visit him in Melbourne earlier um, in the year last year um, before he died and it was obviously a, such a special time together. Um, just hanging out with him and, um, and hanging out with my amazing grandma as well. Our kids just spending time with him. He was this guy who had this deep English baritone kind of voice and he'd, he'd open up a storybook and you'd just be entranced to just like, this is incredible. It's like listening to a, listening to a CD of this, this guy. Um, just just reading these storybooks, making it come alive. We um, so we we're spending this time together, and when we when we when it came time to say goodbye, he he'd been unwell for a while. We knew it was probably going to be the last time we'd see each other. He was getting worse and worse, um, and and it was one of those hugs goodbye that you just don't ever want to let go of. One of these hugs that just you just wanted to keep on going. But we had to go. Um, life goes on. We, we went home and he went to be with the Lord a couple of months later. But a couple of weeks after I had been to visit, he sent me this letter. And it was something he'd been working on for quite a, quite a long time. It was his life story. Uh, and I guess it was all the things that I, I suppose he wanted to make sure that we needed to know once he was gone. It talked about his, his, his journey into faith, his time in the Royal Air Force, in England, his time um, making paints in Australia and all sorts of other things. Um, and you know, we actually have a record of Paul and his last time with the Ephesians, at least with the leaders of Ephesus. You see, Paul had this special bond with the people in Ephesus. He had planted the church himself and he'd gone back to spend three years there, the longest he'd spent at any one church. So he goes to Miletus, which is just down the coast from, from, from Ephesus on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. And he, and he goes there and he calls the leaders, because he knew he didn't have a lot of time, he calls the leaders of Ephesus to himself at Miletus. And, and just like with my granddad, he knew that this would be the last time he would see them. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 20. He, in Acts chapter 20, he gives them this summary of his life with them and he encourages them and he exhorts them um, and, and he warns them of the hardship that's to come. And in verse 25, he says, none of you will see my face again. And then in verse 36 of chapter 20 in Acts, before he goes, he kneels and he prays with the elders of Ephesus 
and they were all weeping. And they're hugging him and they're kissing him. And then he's gone. So I come back to the question, if you knew that you were going to die, what message would you write to the ones that you love? Because that is what this letter of Ephesians is. It's exactly what it is. It's Paul's final word. And today we're finishing the book, so it's the final word of the final word. And I intend to do a couple of things today. One is to provide a short summary of this book that we've been spending the last couple of months studying. And the second is to see what today's text, short as it may be, has to say to us. As a church, as Calvary Chapel, Newcastle, what does Paul have to say to us today? What does God, through the book written 2,000 years ago to a bunch of people in Western Turkey, have to say to Calvary Chapel, Newcastle today? So to recap very briefly, we've really broken this book up into three sections, haven't we? Chapters 1 to 3 are the sit section, which corresponds with the theology part of the book, the underlying truths on which the rest of the book find its grounding. And then for chapters 4 and 5 and part of chapter 6, we had the walk section, really the practical outworking of these truths in the life of the believer. And then the big themes of that walk section were we're living in unity with one another. And that flows throughout the whole book. Walking in our new life through faithfulness. Walking in love. And all these different practical concerns for various types of relationships. Particularly those relationships that have some sort of authority and balance. And then last week, The middle section of chapter 6. We looked at the stand section. Standing in battle with the armour of God. This realisation that we are in a war zone church. Whether we realise it or not and that the stakes are high. We need to be prepared to fight the enemy which incidentally is never a person. Instead it's a spiritual battle. Verse 12 of chapter 6 says against the spiritual forces of evil which nonetheless has very real consequences for people in the world around us. And so we had these various pieces of armour that represent the preparation we need to be making every day to continue effectively in this battle. And we saw the single weapon that we are equipped with, the sword of the spirit which is the word, the the rima, the, the specific word, written word of God. Paul has been so keen to make certain that his beloved brothers and sisters know what they need to do to avoid catastrophe, to be able to run the race to the end, to be able to fight the good fight. And today he's sharing his final words. So we'll be taking off from the second half of verse 18 in chapter 6. But I'm going to go back just a a few verses for context and read from verse 16. First, let's pray together, shall we? Father, we just, oh, we love you. Lord, I invite you right now to come and to speak to us. Speak to Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. Lord, speak to me right now. Use me as your instrument. Lord, would you speak to us through your word what it is that you want to tell us. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand what you're calling us to today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And then this is where today's text kicks off. It says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And we've already got to stop. To to that end, it says, to what end? To the end that we are to pray. As the first half of verse 18 says, pray at all times and in the spirit 
with all prayer and all supplication. That word just means asking for things. The Greek translated to that end is a little ambiguous. Literally, it means and into this, and into this, or toward this. So the NASB says, with this in mind, which I think is also good. But I think in, the, in modern English, you might just say, and specifically. So my paraphrase would be something like this. Take up the sword of the Spirit, praying in the Spirit constantly for all things, but specifically make requests for the saints. That is, plead for your brothers and your sisters, for your leaders and for those you lead, for those you agree with and those you disagree with, for those whose company you enjoy and those who are difficult to love. Pray for all the saints. But what about this bit, keep alert? Well, it means we need to know what's going on or else how can we pray? We need to care enough for one another to hear each other's prayer needs at the very least. Remember, we're in a battle, and if you don't know what's going on, you lose. Doesn't this fit so well with the theme of unity that we've talked about throughout this letter? To be praying for each other. Because it's true that it can be very hard to pray for people at whom you feel angry. But it's also true that it's very hard to stay angry at people for whom you're praying. Church, we need to be praying for each other. And I know that so many of you are faithful in this because, because I've seen it. But for others, and this is not in any way a judgment, because I know that life gets busy. Believe me, I know life gets busy. But if I can be candid, how's your prayer life going? What disciplines have you put in place? But Paul here, he moves on from the general to the very specific who does he want prayer for? Let's see. He says, and pray, verse 19, also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Get this, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I just love Paul. I'm an ambassador in chains, he says. An ambassador for who? For Jesus Christ himself. Is there any more important job than that in the world? I mean, this is an ambassador for the king of the universe. The true king. And where is he? Is he in a hotel? In a five-star palace retreat? Meeting with the, the movers and the shakers in the world? Meeting with the world leaders? No. Paul is in chains. Literally, it says he's in a chain, which is what they would do. They would chain them with a chain to a Roman soldier. The ambassador for the king of the universe is a prisoner in chains. So what does he ask for? For freedom? For pardon? For release? For his physical needs? No, what does he pray for? We see it there, both in verse 19 and 20. That Words may be given to me to proclaim boldly and that I may actually declare it boldly. So the right words, number one, and the boldness to share them, number two. This is Paul, the greatest apostle, the one who says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he has the humility to share his most profound need with the saints in Ephesus. Oh, that we would see more of this in the church. See, Paul is recognizing his own weakness here. The temptation it will be to try and save his own life as he waits for his sentence. He's already a prisoner. 
My question is, how do you go sharing your deepest needs with the saints? The thing is, God answers prayer. And if we don't know what to pray for, then we miss the ability to ask specifically for these things. I've been challenged by that this week. I actually personally have a difficult time sharing my own needs with others. I do. It's part of my makeup. I'm naturally a problem solver. I'm someone who likes to have all the answers. I like to be able to work out a solution to a problem, and Kendra will attest to this. I don't like looking weak in front of other people. It's difficult for me. So this is something you could pray for for me. That I would be able to quit doing everything in my own strength. We know that God's strength is made perfect in weakness because then we rely on him. So pray that I would be able to quit relying on me but that I'd be able to trust God in his plans, that, it would be able to, that I would be able to hear his voice. Because I tell you what, the few times I have been able to share my needs, it's been amazing what God has done. I mean, when Kendall and I were married, Kendall had significant fertility issues, like significant. We were told that she probably wouldn't be able to have babies naturally. Um, and we kind of resigned ourselves to that. To, to at some point in the future just figuring it out. Now, six weeks after we were married, I didn't realise I told my grandma and she'd been praying. And she's a prayer warrior. This woman is incredible. When she prays, things happen. Uh, and six weeks after we were married, we conceived. And that's when we had Zim. And then we've had four kids. Just boom, boom, boom. Uh, it was an answer to prayer, obviously. Now, God answers prayers differently for different people. But if we'd never asked, if we'd never told my grandma, if she'd never prayed, I don't know that God would have done it. And this is what's really incredible to see here with Paul is that on the background of this amazing passage about putting on the armour of God, our responsibility in that, Paul recognises the absolute futility of this. If it's not done in and through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the intervention of God by prayer. When we pray, things happen. It doesn't matter what your theology is. This is the clear teaching of the New Testament. When you pray, things happen. And not only that, but specifically, the progress of the gospel itself is dependent upon prayer. Are we in the habit, church, of praying for the advance of the good news of Jesus Christ? I think we sometimes are. I know I could do better. And now Paul moves on to the final words of his final message to those in Ephesus. So that you also, verse 21, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So I want to ask here, what does it matter how Paul is doing? Why does it matter? How is it relevant to the Ephesians? How is it relevant enough to be included in the scriptures that we have recorded for millennia? There are four reasons I think it actually is relevant. The first three are related to Tychicus telling them what Paul is doing and how they are, Paul and those with him. And the, the fourth one is, is a very explicit 
reason given by Paul. First, it says that the Ephesians would know how to pray. Remember, this is in the context of prayer. So I think Paul is basically saying, Tikkik is, is going to tell you how we're doing and what we're doing so that you know how to pray for us. It's pretty straightforward. Number two, what behaviour the believers in Ephesus are to copy is the reason. In 1 Corinthians, we have a similar situation. But in this instance, it was Timothy being sent. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, This is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Right? So elsewhere, Paul has said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So there's, there's two reasons so far. We, we had the reason of knowing what to pray for, the reason of knowing how to copy Paul's behaviour, because he sets himself up as a model for the church. And third, the, the Ephesians might experience the benefits of his suffering. You might remember earlier in Ephesians, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 13, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And in Colossians 1, 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now there's nothing insufficient about Christ's suffering in that it achieved all it was intended to. But this, this lacking just meant that the suffering for the sake of the body wasn't complete with Christ. The Christian life involves suffering. And that suffering is for the sake of the body of Christ. In other words, the suffering is for the church. So a Christian suffers for the church. And then we have the fourth reason that Paul sends Tychicus, and it's the one explicitly mentioned here, that he might encourage your hearts. Paul has such affection for the Ephesians. To encourage means literally to put courage into and you've got to remember that for the Hebrews, the heart wasn't the place of emotions. For us, the heart is how we, how we feel and, and it's how we love someone with emotions. But for the Hebrew, in the Hebrew mindset, Paul was a Hebrew, speaking Greek, but he was a Hebrew. For the Hebrew, the heart was the place where you made decisions. It was your volitional center. It was the place where you chose to do things. And Paul is sending Tychicus that he might encourage, he might put courage into the part of them that is going to go and make decisions. Paul says earlier in 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So another question is here. He's already encouraging them through this letter, right? Now, the Ephesians had the Spirit of God. They had these instructions from Paul. By this stage, it's AD 60, about half of the New Testament. All of Paul's letters, other than a couple of um, pastoral epistles, have been written. We've already got a gospel or two. So we've got the, the scriptures out there. So they've got the word. They've got the spirit of God. Why do they need Tychicus to encourage them? Are they not faithful enough? Are they not spiritual enough? Do they not pray enough? Are they not strong enough to stay the course? I mean, are they weak? Well, the truth is, all that's true. They're not strong enough. They're not spiritual enough. They're not faithful enough. But neither is any of us, right? The truth is we need each other. That's the truth of the Bible. And with that in view, 
Paul writes his sign off. Peace, he says, verse 23, peace to the brothers. And that word brothers is brothers and sisters, really. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now Paul identifies believers in two ways here. First, see that in verse 23, that the faith of these people is implied. You see that? So it's peace to the brothers and love with faith. Paul is after all writing to brothers and sisters in Ephesus, right? So the faith is the passport into that family. These people are already faithful. He's, he's praying for them to have peace and to have love, but they've already got faith. And he also identifies these people by their love for God. Verse 24, grace to all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now, remembering that the love we have for God can only be a consequence of the love that God already has for us. We love because God first loved us. This love incorruptible, it's not to say that there are different kinds of love that we have for Jesus. It's saying that when we do love Jesus, that love is incorruptible. Why? Because that love is the outworking of the work of, the, of Jesus in his people through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So in a sense, the reason that we love, the love that we have for God is God in our hearts causing us to love him through the Spirit. And it doesn't mean we're always going to get it right. We won't. Paul's clear on this, crystal clear on this elsewhere. We're going to keep stuffing it up. But when we do get it right, it's with that incorruptible love that changes things, that has an effect, that brings glory to God. So having identified believers through their faith and through their love, Paul prays really that these spiritual siblings of his would know God's peace and God's love and God's grace. Those three things, you'll see them crystal clear. God's peace, God's love and God's grace. Now, the truth is we already have these three things in abundance from God, don't we? It's God's love that outworks through his grace to give us peace with him. And flowing from that peace that we have with him, we have peace in all areas of our life. But I, I think we need to see here that by Paul praying for us to increase in these things, he's saying that we can have more of these things, or at the very least we can have an increased awareness of these three things. This is where we sit as Christians. And that really brings us full circle to where we started in Ephesians. We come back to these glorious truths in which we sit as believers, which are the bases for our spiritual blessings. So where do we sit? Do you know that in the book of Ephesians, in Christ, the phrase in Christ is mentioned 13 times. 13 times. We, church, individually and collectively, are in Christ. But we don't always feel that peace, do we? How would you put yourself on the scale of peace right now? If you were to think and think, where am I at on the scale of peace? One to ten. Now, for some of us, despite all the challenges that life provides, things are going pretty well, right? And that's great. If that's you, according to this text here, you have a responsibility to encourage the saints around you. Like the beloved brother Tychicus. You have this calling to put courage into the hearts of those around you. For others, life is a bit ho-hum. You feel like you're just treading water. And you're wondering why things don't seem to be coming together. 
And for others, it's just downright difficult. Maybe you're on the verge of just walking away. It just seems too hard. And everything the world has to offer is just too attractive. It seems so good. You just want to chuck it in and walk away. And I've got news for you. I've been there. It's not better there. It's worse. It's much, much worse. It's a momentary pleasure. And then all the emptiness that the world has to offer with pain and hurt along the way. There are lies that Satan will tell you about the supposed goodness that this world has to offer or about your own ability to pull yourself out of a tough situation without God's help. But as participants in a battle, we need to recognise one thing, that when Christ is working is when Satan is busiest. When Christ is working, when Christ is doing something, when he's on the verge of something, that's when Satan is busiest. He tries his hardest to drive a wedge between you and God. Now rejoice that your battle is considered important enough to merit that attention, but also know Satan trembles when he sees even the weakest saint on their knees. Now for some of you, this is new information. You've never really known Jesus personally, potentially. Maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe this is your first time really truly grasping what it is that God offers to you personally. We all, like Paul, can know true peace, true joy, true hope, perfect love. And it is by God's grace that is his undeserved gift. Philip Yancey, the author and pastor, says this, The world thirsts for grace. And when grace descends, the world falls silent before it. We're not promised ease, but we are promised purpose. We're not promised painlessness, but we are promised peace. We're not promised the absence of anxiety, but we are promised the perfect love that drives out all fear. And what must we do? We need to come, or we need to come again before Almighty God, in recognition of our complete inability to do this thing on our own. We must come with empty hands, recognising our brokenness and putting our trust into the only one who is perfect, into Jesus Christ. And we can receive the gift of salvation. And we can remember the gift of salvation that we've had for a long time. This is what it means to be called a child of God. And this is what it means to keep on living as his children. To be walking continually in that trust relationship with him. And remember this. When we go to battle together, we pick each other up. We steady each other's hands. We give each other a drink knowing all the while that the victory is already won. Let's pray. Father, oh, we just thank you. Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. If you'd like to check out more of our teachings, please visit ccn.org.au forward slash teachings.